Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I also encourage you to check out our other podcast at greatdetectives.net, and today I'm highlighting the war. If you are interested in World War II and want to take a deep dive into the war through radio, check out my podcast, The War, available at thewar.greatdetectives.net. But now it is time to get into this week's Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates February 13th and 14th of 1956, and it's the Qui Bono Matter Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Don Hancock, Johnny. Surety Mutual. Hi, Don. What's on your mind? Qui Bono. Qui who? It's Latin, kiddo. Qui bono? Who benefits? All right, I'll bite. Who does? A little doll named Luann Parker down in Green Pass, Virginia. $100,000 worth, Johnny. Double indemnity. Wow, what did she do? Answer the question? She sure did, with a 38. Two bullseyes right in her foster papa's heart. Well, then if it's an open and shut case, you don't Oh, need... it's that all right. She's the gal what done it. She admits it. But the coroner is about to call it an unavoidable accident. Seems little old Magnolia Blossom thought Papa was a prowler. And what do you think? Just what I said. Qui bono. So? I think you'd better put yourself on the payroll. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Surety Mutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Qui Bono matter. Item 1, $78.45. Transportation and incidentals, Hartford to Green Pass, which was a village of some 12,000 people, hidden among quiet wooded hills, and located, as I discovered on arrival, some three miles from the railroad station. Nice weather we're having. Yeah, it's fine. You from New York? Well, near there, Hartford. Bet you ain't been having weather like this up there. No, no, it's been pretty cold. You say your name was Dollar? Yeah, Johnny Dollar. I'm Jake Deagley. You here on business? That's right. Well, I wouldn't count on finding much here. Green Pass is what you might call a one-horse town. One hotel, one bank, one taxi, that's me, one newspaper... And one county attorney... Yep, just one... Oh, and you've heard about our tragedy, about Dan Parker getting shot. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm an investigator for an insurance company. I see. Well, it was a terrible thing. It was... Oh, doggone it, doggone it. If old man Hawley don't fix up them fences, he's going to be short a cow one of these days. That's the third time this week they've been out the road. How do people around here feel about Dan Parker? Was he well-liked? Well, he'd been re-elected for five straight terms. 
No personal enemies? Not a one. There ain't a man in Green Pass that... Hey, what difference does it make whether he was well-liked? You know how he was killed, don't you? Yeah, I understand he was shot accidentally by his stepdaughter. That's right. And what difference does it make whether he had any enemies? Well, none, probably. But when an insurance company holds a policy as large as the one they carried on Dan Parker, they want to know the full circumstances surrounding the death. Well, there ain't no mystery about it, Mr. Dollar. That poor girl took him for a burglar and shot him, that's all. And it mighty near broke her up. Say, what about her, Jake? Is she well-liked? Well, let me put it this way. I'm 52 years old. I got a grandson, 17. And we're both in love with Lou Ann Parker. I see. And there's 5,000 other males in Green Pass that feel the same way. She get along all right with her stepfather? They worshipped each other. She was all Dan had since Mrs. Parker died nine years ago. They was thicker than thieves, them two. Rode horseback together, went fishing, took trips together. Well, then it's understandable that she'd be pretty broken up. It was terrible for her. She went clean out of her mind when she realized what she'd done. So tell me, was Dan Parker a wealthy man? No, fairly well-to-do for these parts, but no way as wealthy the way you'd think of it in New York, for instance. Then I imagine the Parker girl would think of $100,000 as being a pretty sizable fortune. Mr. Dollar, let me give you a little advice. Oh? You got a job to do, fine. But if I was you, I'd be mighty careful how I went about doing it. Why so? Well, people up here in the hills are kind of standoffish at best. And if you go around hitting what you seem to be hitting at, you're going to get yourself a mess of trouble. <laughs> I don't deal in hints, Jake. All I'm trying to do is dig up all the information possible. Let the company know exactly what happened. That sounds fair enough, Mr. Dollar. But you take my advice. Dig easy. Jake Digley's one-man taxi service dropped me off at the town's one-man hotel. I signed in, left my bags, and did a quick resume of the case which Don Hancock had given me in New York. I tried pumping the hotel proprietor, but when he found out who I was, he frosted up like a mid-julep on a sultry day. But he did tell me I could find the sheriff across the square at the town's one pool room. It turned out to be a one-man place, too. And at the moment, Sheriff Jim Peterson was the one man. Huh? Oh, glad to know you, Mr. Dollar. Uh, just thinking now. Uh, watch me get that there three ball down there. <laughs> Good shot. No, that was a setup. You couldn't miss one like that if you wanted to. Uh, got something on your mind, sir? Yes. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm here in connection with the Parker case. I'll see. Oh. Well, I don't think I'd call it a case exactly. It was an accident. Ain't no mystery about it, as far as I can see. I didn't mean to imply that there was, Sheriff. As it stands now, this is a routine investigation, nothing more. i just like to get the facts, find out exactly what happened, in order to furnish my company with the report they need to pay the claim. I'd uh, appreciate your cooperation if you've got the time. Oh, I got the time all right, sir. Yeah, well, how much you know about it? Well, uh, not much. Dan Parker, as I understand it, was your county attorney here. His stepdaughter, Luann Parker, who is the beneficiary under our policy, mistook him for a prowler, shot him, and killed him. Well, that's about it. Ah, uh, 
Well, the thing happened three nights ago. Dan had been up to Richmond on business. He'd come back in on the midnight train. He walked down from the station. Walked three miles at that time of night? Well, it's a little over two to his place. It's outside of town a ways. Well, that's still quite a walk. Why didn't he call this uh, taxi driver, Jake Digley? Yeah, well, he probably did try to, but Jake wasn't expecting any business, so he took a night off. He was out at Happy Hollow. See, that's a kind of a roadhouse about five miles up the highway. Does Dan's daughter have a car? Yeah, she does. But I figure he didn't want to bother her at that time of night. See, he wasn't due in till the next afternoon. But it appears like he finished up his business and decided to come on back at night without letting Lou Ann know or anybody else. Now, let me see here. Was he in the habit of coming back unexpectedly from trips? Mm, no, I wouldn't say he was. Go on. Huh? Oh. Well, uh, Dan didn't take many trips. And when he did, he most always made arrangements with Jake or Luann to meet him at the station. I see. So, anyway, he walked home that night, and he took a shortcut through the lane and come on in the back way across the terrace. And right there was his fatal act. Oh, what do you mean? He bumped against the lawn chair. And the sound woke up Luann. Then she heard him fumbling with the lock of the back door and heard him come on in the house. She took a thirty-eight pistol from a drawer of her night table and went to the head of the stairs. When she heard him start up, she fired twice and killed him. Mm-hmm. Were there any lights on in the house? No, she was afraid to turn on any light. And I reckon Dan was trying to keep from waking her up. Two shots, two bullets in the heart, firing down a stairway in pitch darkness. That's pretty good shooting, Sheriff. Oh. Well, she can out, out shoot me, Mr. Dollar. And I'm known as one of the best in these here parts. Uh, who taught her? Well, Dane taught her himself. He figured a girl ought to be able to protect herself. So tell me something, Sheriff. Did she have any reason to think it might be a prowler? Have you have you had any trouble of that kind around town? Oh, three weeks ago, it was a house broke into over on the south side. And twice since then, Dan called me in the night to come out and take a look around his place. Oh, why? Well, seems Lou Ann thought she heard somebody trying to break in. And did you find anybody? Nope. Was Luann alone in the house the night of the shooting? Well, Mary Jackson was there. Who, uh... Well, she'd been housekeeper for the Parker for the last 15 years. Uh-huh. What's her version? Same as I told you. She heard the shots, saw the lights in the hall come on, and heard Luann scream, Father! How did the girl and her father get along? Well, couldn't have been any closer. She pretty broke up about it. Uh, you talked to her yet, Miss Dollar? No, not yet. No, I didn't think so. What's that supposed to mean? Well, I mean, if you had, you wouldn't be asking a lot of these questions. Or at least you wouldn't be asking them in the way that you are. What way, Sheriff? Well, like you figured the Parker girl was actually guilty of something. Well, she did pull the trigger, didn't she? And with sufficient reason. She was nervous. She'd heard prowlers around before, or at least thought she did, which adds up the same thing. She thought she heard somebody break in. She knew she couldn't count on Mary for any help. She had a gun, knew how to use it. So she got up her courage and done a natural and normal thing. She used it. And she'll regret her mistake the rest of her life. Yeah. And that's the way the picture seems to work out. At the moment, at least. You got any reason to doubt it? I get paid to doubt things, Sheriff. Until I satisfy myself that there's no reason to doubt them. And that's all I'm trying to do. It's all the insurance company expects me to do. I'm not out to pin anything on this girl or to get out of paying her claim. Provided it's legitimate. It is. Well, then she's got nothing to worry about. 
If the thing happened as you just told me it did, then I have as much sympathy for her as you do. It'll be a pretty rough memory to live with. I just want to be sure, that's all. All right, Miss Dollar. You look around, you talk to people, ask any questions you have a mind to, but you're going to come out right back where you started at. You're probably right. Dan and me had been friends for years. Good friends. Now, if I thought there was the slightest doubt about this, I would be the first one to kick up a fuss and go after the truth. Even if the evidence pointed toward Luann Parker? No matter where it pointed to. Well... Now, look, I want to talk to the housekeeper and to Miss Parker herself, and I'd like to attend the coroner's inquest, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind, but you're a little late. Huh? It was hailed this morning. What was the verdict? Death by misadventure, unavoidable accident, with no recommendation for prosecution. I see. Would it be possible for me to see a copy of the transcript? It would. I'll ring the coroner and tell him to expect you. But let me give you a little piece of advice, Mr. Dollar. All right. Folks in these here parts love that girl. So when you start walking around asking questions, walk easy. I went over the coroner's report and found nothing. Luann had been called as a witness and appeared to have answered all questions in a frank and a straightforward manner. I checked her school record. She was regarded as an unusually bright girl and had stood at the head of a class all through high school. She'd been elected cheerleader in her junior year, won the lead in the class play, had been chosen queen of the senior prom. She was the town's darling. They worshipped her. And I could see that casting any aspersions on her would be like an attack on the crown jewels. I began to feel like a peeping Tom, like a louse, like I was wrong. And yet, qui bono? Who benefits? Two bullets in a man's heart and a $100,000 payoff. I had to be sure. Johnny Dollar. Tom Bates, Mr. Dollar. Tom... I'm acting county attorney since Dan Parker's death. Oh, yes. I was looking for you earlier. So Sheriff Peterson said. What was it you wanted to see me about? Didn't Peterson tell you why I'm in town? Yes, of course. You're an insurance investigator. You're here in connection with Parker's accident. Accident, did you say? I thought the sheriff straightened you out on that. He tried his best. Well, I'm afraid I can't tell you any Mr. more... Mr. Bates, than... are you in your office at the moment... Yes, I am. Stay there, then. I'll be right over. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Green Pass, Virginia, to the Home Office, Surety Mutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the qui bono matter. Expense account continued. Item four, five cents, for a copy of the Green Pass Weekly Sentinel. I glanced through it as I walked across the square from the hotel of the courthouse. The big news, of course, was the tragic death of longtime county attorney Dan Parker. And two columns of the editorial page were devoted to eulogy and sympathy for the dead man's adopted daughter, Luann, who had mistaken her father for a prowler and shot him to death with his own gun. But neither the editorial nor the front page mentioned the fact that Luann, because of her mistake stood to collect $100,000 worth of insurance. Come in. Are you Tom Bates? That's right. My name is Dollar. I just talked to you on the phone. 
And I told you I had nothing to say. Uh, mind if I sit down? Now, look here. You look, Mr. Bates. I've been in the business of insurance investigation for quite a while. And I probably know the legal rules and responsibilities of your office about as well as you do. Get out, Dollar. Well, for two cents, that's exactly what I'd do. And if I did, you'd find yourself in a real tight spot. What are you talking about? The company would have a battery of high-powered legal eagles in town by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they'd have a subpoena, a restraining order, an order to show cause so quick it'd make your eyes bug out. And that's where it would start to get embarrassing, Mr. Bates. When you tried to explain to the court why you were withholding evidence and refusing to cooperate. What do you mean, refusing to cooperate? I haven't refused a thing. It sounded that way to me. I don't care how it sounded. I... Look, I know what you're up to. Peterson told me why you're here. Oh, you're out to muddy this thing up. You're trying to pin something on Miss Parker so you can get out of paying the insurance claim. And subpoena or no subpoena, you'll get no help from my office on a crooked deal like that. Any reason for you to think something could be pinned on her, Mr. Bates? Of course there's no reason. You saw the transcript of the coroner's inquiry, didn't you? I did. Well, did you find one single hint of suspicion anywhere in it? No, no. Not much of anything else for that matter. Are you always as gentle with your witnesses as you were with Miss Parker? The girl was half out of her mind with grief, on the verge of a breakdown. We got the facts. What more do you want? Maybe we should have thrown her in jail, beat her up with a rubber hose, starved her till she thought of something to confess. Is that the way you'd have done it? Oh, relax, Mr. Bates. You're not in a courtroom. No, and by heaven, I'm not going to be. Not on this case, because there's no reason. How long have you been in love with the Parker girl? Ever since I... What difference that make? It might help to account for your attitude about this. What is it you're thinking? That I'm helping her get away with something? Covering something up for her? Or that all of us are, maybe? Everybody at the inquest? <laughs> well, it wouldn't surprise me too much, the way this whole town gets up on its high horse the minute you ask a simple question about the girl. Well, what do you expect when you go around insinuating... Insinuating she... nothing, Mr. Bates. I haven't accused Miss Parker of a thing. I have no reason to. And regardless of what you think or Sheriff Peterson thinks, I didn't come here to frame her, to pin something on her. I want just one thing. The complete detailed story of Dan Parker's death, and I'm going to get it one way or another. Well, nobody's trying to prevent you. I'm glad to hear it. Then how about some cooperation? What do you want to know? How long have you been Mr. Parker's assistant? Almost three years. And now you automatically become county attorney, is that it? Yes, until the next general election. Do you intend to run for the office at that time? Possibly. I don't see... How did you I... and Parker get along? Fine. Why? Well, did he approve of your interest in his daughter? Well, he certainly preferred me to... Well, anybody else in the running. Who else is in the running? Nobody, actually. Are you engaged to her? Not officially. She doesn't think she's quite ready to settle down. Uh-huh. But if she had been ready, you... You think Mr. Parker would have welcomed you as a son-in-law, huh? I think so. I didn't kill him, Mr. Dollar. <laughs> Ever have any arguments with him? No. None of any importance. Who were his enemies, Mr. Bates? He didn't have any. A county attorney without a single enemy? That's a little remarkable, don't you think? That was the type of man he was. He'd usually let sleeping dogs lie. Easy going. Too much so, maybe. That was half the... Half the reason the two of you argued? Is that what you started to say? There were times when he should have gotten tough, or at least let me do it. Well, you'll have your chance now. And I'm going to take advantage of it. In one case, at least. Oh, what case is that? The Happy Hollow Roadhouse. That place should have been closed two years ago. 
But Mr. Parker wouldn't hear of it. And the sheriff wouldn't touch it without Parker's okay. Who runs it? A dirty little... His name's Sammy Drake. A cheap 30-cent crook. Why should the place be closed, Mr. Bates? Because it's a menace to the community. Drake's got everything going out there, wide open. He ought to be run out of town. And before the month's up, he will be. Was Drake a friend of Mr. Parker's? <laughs> Hardly. Is Miss Parker acquainted with him? She knows him, of course. In a town this small, everybody knows everybody else. Doesn't mean anything. I see. You see what? What are you driving at, anyway? The complete detailed story, that's all. Fine. But what bearing does this stuff have on the story? Oh, none, probably. The sheriff tells me Miss Parker is a dead shot with a pistol. Do you know if that's true? Yeah, absolutely. She can outshoot me any day of the week, along with most of the other men in the county. That's one of the tragic... One of the ironies of the thing. It was her own father who taught her to shoot. Was she given a paraffin test the night of the accident to determine whether she'd fired a gun? Of course not. In the first place, we're not set up for it. And in the second place, there was no doubt but what she had. The housekeeper heard the shots and ran out in the hall and saw her standing there with a gun in her hand. And she admits she fired him. What more do you want? I guess that ought to satisfy any reasonable person. Well, thanks a lot for your cooperation, Mr. Bates. You're welcome. I'll frankly admit I don't have the slightest idea what line of thought it is you're trying to follow. It's the same one I've been following ever since I left Hartford. Do you know the Latin phrase, qui bono? Sure. Means who benefits. It was an old principle of Roman law. And it's still a good one. Who benefits here? Well, Luann Parker, of course, to the tune of $100,000. But maybe she's not the only one. There are different ways of benefiting, you know. It still comes back to the same thing. She's the one who mistook her father for a prowler that night. She's the one who pulled the trigger and fired the shots that killed him. Apparently so. But it's possible that somebody might have used her, Mr. Bates. Expense account item five, six dollars even. Flat rate payment to Jake Deagley for a couple of hours' use of his battered old taxi. I stopped at the telephone office and I talked with the supervisor. I talked with the editor of the local paper and with a waitress who'd gone to school with Luann Parker, with a boy in a service station who'd dated her in high school. And all of their remarks fit the same picture, a sweet, fresh, all-American girl with an adored father who'd showered her with gifts and attention. And now her own personal tragedy was the town's public one, and they all wept for her. Not a fact out of line. So finally I decided I'd filled in the background enough for the moment, and it was high time I met the little princess face to face. Yes, sir? Good afternoon. I'd like to see Miss Parker, please. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but she ain't here. Oh? She's been staying in with Dr. Praley and his wife. Seems like she just couldn't face this place after what happened here. Are you the housekeeper, Mary Jackson? That's right, sir. Well, I'd like to talk to you too, Mary, if you don't mind. What about, sir? Just a routine question or two. I'm with the insurance company that carries the policy on Mr. Parker's life. Well, I don't think I ought to go around talking Well, it's quite all right. Sheriff Peterson and Tom Bates are both cooperating with me, so you can be sure there's nothing wrong about it. Well, if them two say it's all right... They do. Then I reckon it is. Won't you come in, sir? 
In a few minutes' conversation, I learned that Mary Jackson had practically raised the Parker girl and worshipped both her and her father. She showed me the terrace where Dan Parker had bumped into the chair and wakened both his daughter and Mary, the back door where he'd entered the house that night, and then finally the main stairway where the shooting had taken place. When I heard the shots, all I could think was, oh, my poor baby, and I come running out in the hall. Hmm. Your room is the third door there, is that right? Yes, sir. Well, just then Miss Luann turned on the lights, that switch right there beside you, and I saw her standing here at the top of the stairs with a gun in her hand. Then we both looked, saw it was Mr. Parker. We'd run down there. Miss Luann tore off his tie and pulled his shirt open. But he'd already passed on. Yeah, it must have been a terrible thing for both of you. Yes, sir. It was. Mr. Parker seems to have been a very generous man, especially with his daughter. Oh, he'd always give her anything she wanted. Bought her another new car just last month. Yeah, I saw it in the driveway. Well, this is a very attractive house. Must be worth twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Mr. Parker bought it just two years ago. He thought with Miss Lou Ann growing up, she ought to have a better place to live. What's your salary here, Mary? Ninety-five a month, sir. And my keep, of course. I wonder how he did it. Sir? Well, Dan Parker made $5,000 a year as county attorney. There's less than 600 in his bank account. The manager said it's never been much higher. And yet, this house, new cars, those clothes of Miss Parker's that you showed me, a $50,000 life insurance policy. How about that, Mary? I don't know nothing about it, sir. And still, with all this, they were always quarreling. How'd you find that out? Why, Mary? What did they quarrel about? Well, it's only been the last six months, and it wasn't her fault. It wasn't like her. It was that Sammy that put those ideas in her head. Sammy Drake, the fellow who owns the Happy Hollow? She was a restless one with nothing to do, and he took advantage of it. Filled a head full of crazy notions. I know it was him. What crazy notions, Mary? Going off to New York, getting on the stage, or dancing in some nightclub. It's the only thing Mr. Parker ever refused her. But he sure put his foot down on that. He said the only way she'd do it would be over... over his dead body. Oh, sir. Thanks, Mary. You've been a lot of help. Here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, the net tightens. A rat runs for cover. Then the whole thing blows wide open. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Shawnee Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Well, as usual, a solid first two episodes does a great job laying the groundwork and establishing a lot of interesting points that we're going to look into further on Friday. I particularly enjoyed the conversation with the sheriff and managing to sound like he's playing pool while he's talking to Johnny which is always a great audio actor's trick. Obviously, on video, it can also be a challenge because you've got to operate whatever prop you're using and talk, but it's a whole other challenge to do that with your voice. I don't know if I thought the ominous music cues were appropriate at the times when Johnny was being advised not to go too harsh or come on too strong in the questions he asked about the daughter. I don't think that was Johnny is being given sensible advice music, if that is the type of thing that requires music. Listener comments and feedback now, and we start over on Twitter. And regarding the Flight 6 matter, Rockarola writes, uh, Great episode, Marvel must have been quite the bombshell. You get definitely get the idea from the story that she was a very unique person. I think the writing and the description were really vivid without being sleazy or something like that. And then, of course, you've got the performances, which really makes the description live. Then we have a comment from Lynn, who writes, Love Johnny Dollar, miss the fat man. Well, I definitely hear you there. It was such a good series, particularly the American series with J. Scott Smart. Although I honestly wouldn't mind if we found a few more of the Australian episodes. Those weren't bad, certainly. But if I had to choose a series to have, like, a mass restoration, I think it would be The Fat Man. I'd love to have more episodes of that available, particularly with that original American theme with the tuba. That's just the perfect theme for that series. Now, of course, we don't get our choice of what lost episodes pop in, but if... If there were, that's the series I would really want to see a mass restoration of. Thank you to Rising Midnight, Donna, and Steve for leaving positive uh, comments on the uh, Spotify Q&A. And then I also have an email from Lawrence who writes in regarding uh, the Let George Do It episode, Triple Indemnity. Probably the most confusing storyline I've ever listened to. Well, sorry about that. Let George Do It is one of those series that can have a really big twist and turn the way things are viewed around a whole lot, like in the last five minutes of the episode. I enjoy that, but I can see how that could get confusing. Now, I did have one additional update to let George do it. I was able to confirm when Olin Soule took over as George Valentine, and that was November 30th of 1953. I haven't been able to verify for sure when Bailey's last episode was. Uh, I found it in a newspaper article when Soule took over, 
and it said that Bailey had left to focus on script writing. And I've got a series on Bob Bailey that I'm working on in our weekly articles over at greatdetectives.net where I'll be fleshing this out a bit more. But we do know that Bob Bailey was still considered the lead actor in Let George Do It in June. So sometime between June and November of 1953 uh, was when he left the series. And if you are curious what I'm writing, uh, just check it out over at greatdetectives.net. The first part should be posted as of this episode, and then we'll be posting... Uh, new articles on Bob Bailey for a couple more weeks. I think maybe three weeks every Saturday. All right. Uh, we finally c- uh, conclude with a new review from the Apple Podcast Store from the UK from Miranda Beth, who writes, Thanks for your great podcast. Keeps me going while working from home and love Adam's narration too. So informative. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to leave a review, Miranda. It helps listeners be able to find our podcast, and it's really encouraging, particularly as we get some less positive and even deceptive reviews that that are always a challenge. So I appreciate uh, Miranda and everybody else who takes the time to uh, leave us reviews in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever else uh, you're able to review podcasts. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Maggie, Patreon supporter since January 2018, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Maggie, and that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software and be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download us from. Episodes 3 through 5 of the Quebono Matter will be coming to you on Friday. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... Not the little gent with the scissors. The minutes drag by and the shower is still running in the bathroom. I start getting fidgety. Then it hits me. The little guy had said his work was done here. He could have meant Snell. I run to the bathroom, jerk the shower curtain. I say! Huh? Oh, you're okay, huh? Well, I I was at last report, old boy, but... Isn't it a bit thick charging into a man's bathroom like this? I'm oh, sorry, I got a little worried about you. Oh, nice of you to be concerned, old man. But I assure you, I've been taking showers most of my adult life and never had a moment's trouble. Who are you, anyway? Steve Mitchell, from the States. Oh, Mitchell, of course. Uh, uh, hand me that towel, will you, old boy? Huh? Oh, sure. Uh, thanks. Yes, I, I've been expecting you, Mitchell. But it's all about your being worried about me. I guess this deal's getting on my nerves already. A strange little character in your living room gave me some double talk and left. Uh, Oh, that was Keller, my tailor. Tailor? Well, that explains the scissors all right. Ripping good one, too. I was beginning to wonder whether he'd been doing a little ripping on you. I say, this thing is getting on your nerves, isn't it? (laughs) Want to trade jobs? Thanks a lot, old boy, but I think this is one adventure I'll cheerfully forego. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at 
GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash GreatDetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.